If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds. And while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The Glass Noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 135 of Confessions of a Marketer, how to adapt for better engagement. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Amanda Slavin is back to continue our chat about engagement. We'll get to that in a moment. Next time, we'll be talking with Maggie Fox about the CEO-CMO relationship. Vincenzo Landino will be in soon to talk about CEOs and social. Mark Schaefer will be here to talk about his book, Marketing Rebellion. Plus, we've got Catherine Hayes on deck. She's a speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio. And she's author of Beyond Advertising. So we'll be discussing just that, advertising. Lots more great discussions in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, back to Amanda Slavin. This time we learn about some of the advice Amanda gives her clients looking for better engagement. We also get some success stories, find out the best ways to land customers and get them to stay loyal. And we take out the crystal ball and discuss how engagement will change in the years ahead. Really enjoyed this discussion, so let's get to it. I want to get down to the nitty gritty. So if a client comes to you with a need to engage more effectively with customers, clients, prospects, you name it, what are the two or three things that you tell them? Well, first I tell them we have to go through the process together and sometimes they like that and sometimes they don't. <laughs> Kicking and screaming, huh? <laughs> Listen, sometimes we, we've just done, if they're like, we just want a website, then we use the framework to determine that creative output and we come up with the solutions ourselves. But the first thing I would say is if someone says, I want to engage more deeply with my customers, I would actually first and foremost say like, what does that mean? Like, what does success actually look like for you and why? So that would be my first question. Because I think a lot of times when it comes to particularly marketing agencies, clients come to marketing agencies and they think they have this problem. And they're like, we need a website. And then the agency starts working on the website and you're like, you don't have any language or like, you don't even know who you are. And you only have one employee and that employee is leaving. And so you start to see all these other problems. So 
first and foremost, I would say, what does success look like and why? And then the second question I would also ask is, with the framework, there's a lot of questions, so I can kind of just talk through them very quickly because it is kind of a step two. But with the levels, we have questions per level. So I would ask, like, first, what do you stand for? What's your personal value and belief? What's your statement that you are actually, you know, again, using as a North Star? Then I would say, who are you actually speaking to? Level one. Then I would say, what are you saying to them? Two. Then I would say, how are you creating a customer journey for them while you're limiting distractions? So what's the customer journey? Then I would say for four, what are you asking them in terms of call to actions? What are simple call to actions you could build with them? And then I would say for five, I would say, what are you doing to pique their interest in getting them excited? And then at six, I would say, what kind of content are you offering to change the way that they're setting goals for themselves? All the way with the seventh level is how are you making them the hero? That was not three things. That was seven things, but... <laughs> a lot of things, but important things. <laughs> yeah, important things. And I think, again, that is that is where I, I come in, where, where someone will say, like, we want more Instagram followers. What can you do? And I have to take a step back and say, we need to do this right, or we're not going to feel great about the work, or you're not going to feel great about the work. And that is something that takes more time, energy, and effort. But then I feel like I'm actually walking the walk, as I said before, and not just talking the talk. You've worked with Coca-Cola, Google, HubSpot. Any success stories that you can or you would like to share? Yeah, I think with HubSpot, we've done this really interesting program where HubSpot offers their software to 1,400 professors for free. And it's with the intention that you know, the students learn about HubSpot and then you know, go to different jobs and then can really bring that knowledge and expertise to these jobs, utilizing HubSpot you know, as a mechanism for marketing success. So what we did was with the book, as I mentioned, we worked extremely hard with their education partnership team to really build out this robust curriculum. And now we're offering that to 1,400 professors. So what's really cool about that is all these professors that are, are doing it are absolutely loving it and their students are loving it. And they're seeing this significant difference in the way that they're teaching their students about applying and understanding how and why it's important. So there's context around it. So to me, that is one of the coolest things that we could have done because, again, as an educator and as we just talked about marketing as education, this is literally taking this framework that can be utilized in a lot of different ways and teaching students how to set themselves up for success within school, but also once they graduate. That's really interesting. It's insidious in one way, right? <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting way to educate students about the real world. Correct. And I think, you know, yes, I, I always like to say like, even when I talk to someone like, what's in it for me? Like, I like to actually just say that because I feel like when you don't, you then, you know, when, when you don't give someone the why, they make up their own why. So for me as well with launching a book, the book isn't a memoir. It's not necessarily like a personal story for me. It really is teaching people something that they can apply to their life. So what better way of doing that than partnering with a program that is working with educators who need textbooks to teach their students about how to think differently. And so the strategy as well is to possibly replicate this program where, you know, HubSpot can work with thought leaders and their books and then integrate that book into curriculums within schools to be able to create value for not only the actual education partners, but also for the influencers they're working with. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So engagement is important. We agree on that mm -hmm. you know, for both employees, customers, and prospects, and all of your constituents. But how do you get the customers to become customers in the first place and then stay loyal? <laughs> yeah, great question. So with the bottom three levels, the bottom three levels are all around looking at what could happen, 
almost like looking at potential pitfalls in order to be able to combat those issues and turn them into opportunities. So level one, as I said, is disengagement. And that's defined as when someone is avoiding your idol from a task at hand. Level two is unsystematic engagement, which is when they're confused by the messaging. Level three is when they want to engage. This is frustrated engagement, but they're distracted. So one, two, and three is looking at what am I kind of doing wrong or what could go wrong as I'm launching a campaign or creating a new company or you know maybe again, introducing something to my employees that's a completely new program. What could go wrong? So at these levels, it is imperative, as I mentioned before, to at level one, to think about if someone is avoiding your idol from the task at hand, why would that be the case? And so often it's because we're not talking to the right people or we don't even know the people we're talking to. So first it's identifying who is the actual right customer for you based on your seventh level statement, based on what you stand for. I think so often companies also think like, we need to talk to millennials because I read an article in BuzzFeed. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, no, you need to look back on why you exist on your own seventh level statement. And then you need to determine from that place who your customers are. Isn't that like someone said a few years ago, I read it somewhere that the worst thing in the world is to have your CEO go out and talk to customers because they'll come back and they'll say one thing that one customer said and the entire company has to turn on a dime and focus on that. Oh, that is really interesting. I have lots to say about that because (laughs) my company operates as something called within self-organization. It's not a hierarchy. It's a bottom-up approach to organization. And so I very much believe that there needs to be structure set up within companies so that CEOs, also particularly founders and CEOs, don't have full control over decision-making because they're not the ones on the ground doing the actual work a lot of the times so right. don't actually know the answers. You know, we've pretty much created as much as possible to get me out of the way because I, I'm obsessed with, you know, I'm a founder <laughs> and I'm obsessed with the company. And if I don't create opportunities for people to tell me what they're seeing, it will be that. Because I'll come back and be like, well, this person said this and this person, and they're like, that's not the case. So I think having a framework where you first start with what you stand for, then as an organization, you agree upon these are the personas that we're going after. These are the people that are our customers. And this is how we talk to those people. This is where they are. These are the platforms they're using. The other problem I think that happens is we so frequently say, Snapchat's the new thing, so we all have to be on Snapchat. Right. And that's just not the case. It's where your customer is and then going there. And then with level two, it's, again, confused by the messaging. So it's making sure your messaging is clear and concise and an eight-year-old can understand what you do. Because again, we use so much... Oh, marketing is the work when it comes to jargon. I always tell the story. My dad was helping me build the company for the past three years. When he first joined the company, we kept using the word deck. And he's like... What the hell is a deck? What's a deck? Like a we got one on the back <laughs> exactly. of the house with a barbecue on exactly. it. Exactly. Right? It really taught us. With our clients, it's so important as marketers to simplify your language with clients because if a client feels like you are speaking over their head, they're not going to normally speak up and then they're going to be stuck at level two. So it's very important to make sure that you're using very simplified language. And then at level three, again, they want to engage with their distracted. You want to limit those distractions. So don't create more distractions. So it's what is the customer journey? What is the experience that we want these individuals to take? And then let's not create more distractions for them. Let's not create a pop-up that's going to get in the way of what we actually want them to do. So in terms of when it comes to engaging customers, it's looking at first and foremost, what could go wrong. And I think also as marketers, we, we don't want to think like that sometimes. Like obviously we could do SWOT analysis all day long, but I think when you go really deep into it and then the whole framework is action, questions, goals, 
So what's an action associated with each level? What are guiding questions that can help you get to the next level? And then what are goals to help you get to the next level? So it's forcing your brain to think about what could go wrong in order to be able to set yourself up to do right. So I have a really important question for you. Did your dad cut you a deal on his rate? (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. My dad was on Wall Street for quite some time and was in, you know, was in sales and, and business development. And I think for him, he was looking for something that maybe had a little bit more purpose. Yeah. And so it was a good, okay, when you look at the levels, level five self-regulated interest with an employee, that's all kind of based on what's in it for me, like commission, bonuses, like it's really based on the yeah. numbers. But level six is when you're inspired to set goals to make a difference. And I think for my dad, it wasn't necessarily about like just the money. It was about helping me and the organization think differently and to set goals to, you know, be more sales oriented. And I'm really happy that he was able to do that over the past three years with us because we were a bunch of millennials and I really felt that it was a weakness for us and that we needed someone in the room to kind of shake us awake. And he did that. I think, yes, he did, you know, <laughs> given this counting rate, but there was a reason for it because he got more out of it, you know, in, in other situations and circumstances. Oh, that's great. I want to look to the future. What does engagement mean? What will it mean over the next few years, do you think? And how will it change? And how will companies need to adapt? And does this increasingly complex landscape of business and media and all that play into it? I say that the opposite of engagement, again, is not disengagement, it's apathy. Mm -hmm. So I think we've created a lot of apathetic consumers. Even the word consumers to me is so passive, it's going into apathy um, because we are not looking at these individuals as, again, active participants in their own lives. So I think we have to wake up to the fact that our customers, our internal and external are looking for more from us. And if we don't wake up and build, I say like with the framework, it's, it's almost like you wouldn't build a house on sand. Like there needs to be a strong foundation. And I think we've kind of gone two directions. One direction is, over-the-top language and very kind of elevated taglines and mission statements and values that don't actually mean anything. And then we're not thinking of ourselves as businesses and we're not taking the steps that we need to actually make our words be substantial. That's one problem. And the other problem is, I think then we're too focused on, you know, it's almost like marketing is the combination of art and science. Like that's the art is like, the flowery language and this is what we believe in and like we have really pretty branding. The science is we're then going too far in the other direction where it's all about data, all about metrics and all about analytics and growth hacking and what does the backend Google Analytics say? And it's really, I think, limiting us on both fronts. So I think engagement for the future is, I hope we're going to go a little bit back to the way we were in the past, like really back in the past, like even before, like as during the cave times, like where we recognize the importance of human connection actual human connection. Like, you know, I live in New York City and I always think of the fact that we're all on subways directly next to each other. No one's talking to each other and we're all on our phones passively consuming content from people that we barely know. It's like a very odd (laughs) experience. And I hope that we can take our phones and put them down for a minute and look in each other's eyes and start to actually, when we ask, how are you actually care about what someone says, particularly our employees, people that we're with all of the time, and really start to put that humanity back in the way that we're thinking about marketing and business. And with the data and the analytics, I hope that the more tools that are introduced, I hope that we leverage those tools, but with the intention, again, for that first goal, 
which is to connect more deeply as opposed to kind of use it as a way of distancing ourselves more and more and more because we need millions and millions and millions of customers. I hope that it's an opportunity for us to think about connection in a way that's, I know that's maybe a little bit pie in the sky, but I really do believe it's possible that if we start to think of engagement as, again, a meaningful connection between two human beings and we make that our priority, I do think it is possible for businesses to start to shift to actually care about the people that work for the company and the people that they're marketing something to. Well, it's the difference between sitting on the subway, staring at your phone and being in that restaurant on the Upper West Side, right? Yes, exactly. And it's when I go to that restaurant too, I travel a lot alone or I might not anymore for a while. (laughs) My husband and I love to travel, but I also love to travel by myself. And when I travel by myself, I go, you know, and I just go out to eat. I love to eat. And I've gone to places like in Tokyo, Ireland, Australia, and I go to really, really nice restaurants and I don't bring my phone and I don't bring a book. And I just sit there by myself. And my body language is so different because when you're on your phone, your body language is closed. Like think about where your shoulders are and your head. And when you're not, you're literally open. So that's where I, you know, I talk about the nature-based learning versus the classroom and technology. Technology isn't the enemy, but we've given it too much power. And we need to take that power back and remember why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. I think I saw a meme where someone said I was in a coffee shop today and someone came in, ordered a cup of coffee, sat down and drank it like a psycho. (laughs) Right? It's just (laughs) the world we're in is just kind of upside down where you go out into a public place and you don't interact with other people. There was another meme and it said, too bad trees don't give us Wi-Fi or we wouldn't cut them all down. They just give us <laughs> oxygen to breathe. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. With coffee shops, there's this great bookstore that reopened by me called Shakespeare & Co. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that. Oh, it's yeah. so incredible. But they have these no technology signs on the tables. People, of course, ignore them. And I was talking to my mom about this too, because she's like, I don't understand how these places make money. And like, if people are just sitting there and, you know, I, I told her the solution could be to just not have plugs, to not have outlets. Because you can't really not have Wi-Fi, but there's also all these places. A few of my friends started camps, like digital detox camps, where you're not allowed to have your phone, which is just so crazy that we have to do this. But we don't know the ramifications. We don't know the impact of this addictive behavior that we have with our technology. We don't know what it's actually doing to our brain. So I do think having boundaries around your relationship with technology with likes, comments, followers, you know, I'm actually not personally on, you know, I don't have Instagram on my phone, I have Twitter on my phone, I don't have Facebook on my phone. That's very odd because I understand that I'm in marketing. I go to Instagram.com, like Google.com. It's a very weird, people don't even know what I'm talking about. But I needed that because I found that when I was leaving these platforms after hours of mindlessly again consuming, I felt worse about myself, not better. So I needed to create solutions to that problem. And I think we could just be better as human beings. Like we can just like maybe just connect for one extra minute instead of like the second we get into the coffee shop, like taking out our computers. Yeah, I deleted Facebook a while ago. I've still got the account, but I don't have it on my phone. I don't have the app. Me too. I still have the account. You know, I, I'm not completely crazy. You know? But, you know, I think it's again, it's everyone has their own relationship with technology and with social media. I just, I'm very grateful that you know, I was the type of kid that needed to be included in everything, that was obsessed with being popular, that like I needed to know everyone. My mom called me like a walking yearbook. I was like Facebook before Facebook. And I think that if social media was around when I was a kid, it would have been very difficult for me. I would have been obsessed with these vanity metrics and really pulling my identity from those metrics. 
and making me, my self-esteem would be very much related to how many likes I got that day. So I think that, and that's as a kid, I mean, as an adult, I feel that way sometimes. So I just think that we need to be, again, more intentional with the way that we're thinking about these tools. And that's why I like the levels too, because it's not personal. It's not an attack on technology. It's nothing like that. It's just like, that's just level four. And I want to be in relationships with people where I'm at six and seven. I want to have our personal values and beliefs aligned. I want to inspire the people in my life to set goals to make a difference at level six. Like I just want more than do this, do that, like this, comment below. Yeah. Oh, this was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Me too. I'm glad we got it in before you had your baby. Yeah, I mean, I was, I literally am pretty much working until, so I have to be induced because I'm, I was diagnosed out of nowhere three years ago with type one diabetes. Oh, wow. It was a crazy situation. It really transformed. That was actually one of the other reasons why I, I got off a lot of these social media tools is because I, I wanted to kind of clean house on anything that, again, didn't make me feel good. But I have to be induced. The due date's January 18th. And I have to be induced earlier. And so we were going back and forth with the doctor. And you know, I was like, what about the ninth or whatever? And so we ended up landing on a date. And I was talking to my team today. And one of the team members said, isn't it funny what date you're delivering on? I'm like, why? She's like, it's the seventh. I'm like, oh, it's because I'm getting induced. She was like telling someone about it. And they were like, did she mean, did she schedule it because of that? I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's so, I mean, I guess I'm good at marketing to an extent. Like if they think I'm that obsessed with the seventh level, I would have my baby on the seventh. So I thought it was a good story. That's great. And, you know, best of luck. Thank you. We'll be in touch. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it as well. All right. Next time, Maggie Fox on the CEO-CMO relationship. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home-free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.